Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade continuing uh, our series that was never intended to be a series, uh, the Backyard series, as we are recording two episodes in a night, so we're the same place we were in the previous episode, at Pastor Borland's house. We're still inside. I don't think we've checked if the rain had stopped, um, but it's so nice in here. Such an inviting home um, that we are still inside. Uh we are going to, the focus of this kind of backyard series we've been doing has been, I would say, applied or pastoral theology. Is that fair to say, gentlemen? Um, and so we're going to continue with that. And I had, as I mentioned in the previous episode, shot at John and Mike um, about 10 ap- uh, episode ideas. And I think there's some that we will do later that will be full episodes that will fit well. We decided to combine two. Last episode, we were going to do three questions at least. Kind of like boom, 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 rapid fire. And we went over an hour um, on just preaching, which was good. I think the fact that I stretched the intro out, of ni- out to nine minutes. It was very helpful. Um, helped us get over that, that hour. Um, that was probably the kind of introduction that we, when talking about preaching, said we shouldn't do as preachers. But we're podcasters right now. And so the question we're going to talk about today, or I'll say the two questions are, um, and we can treat these as two separate or we can combine them. First, what do you really need a pastor for, right? In a world that can offer all kinds of things, wonderful things even, um, when it comes to uh, maybe some things like uh, therapy, uh, dealing with grief, um, life coaching, um, right? Lots of things that maybe people would associate with what the church is there for. And I think dealing with grief is something that the church is obviously there for. Um, but what do you really need a pastor for? We, uh, as pastors, many of us have tried to be different things as a pastor. Um, and you learn as, as you go with that. I would say definitely as laity, and I now as largely a a consumer when it comes to, uh, I'm, I'm usually a recipient in the church. I use that term consumer very loosely, but purposefully. Um, if we're coming at it as consumers, right, we often are looking for all sorts of things in a pastor or a church. But what do you really need a pastor for? And then we're going to connect that with um, kind of a talk about, we can talk about the pastor's office, right, where his desk is, or a pastor's study. Um but what is that, how does that pastor's study or office relate to what you really need a pastor for, both for the ministry that takes place there, but for the preparation also for ministry um, that takes place there? Um, Mike, we, uh, we live in a country of, of rugged individualists, right? We're going to go at our own. When we started off this podcast, that's what we were. Um, we're just going to have our own podcast. Mike came in pretty early, joined us. Um, but we've been converted. Pretty early on, we were converted to join a, um, a network of podcasts, um, which hopefully has been beneficial to our listeners, and I know it's been beneficial to us. Mike, what's that, what's that network? Uh, 1517. And where can you find it on the web? 1517.org. Very good. And... Uh, and Does, th- doesn't Mike sometimes say 1517.com? He does, and it's very confusing for people. Thankfully, 1517.com, as far as I know, is not like some terrible website. Um, they'll put you on, you know, on a, like a terrorist watch list. Well, there's that movie, too, 1517. 
um, it was about like a, uh, that was the, the name of a train. It was a true life story of like American soldiers. Are you making like, this up? No, in like France that stopped a terrorist plot, I think. Okay. I'll take your word for that. And, uh, um, so 1517. 1517. Just so you know, 1517.net is not yet claimed. Um, 1517.com. <clears throat> I'm trouble loading here. Sorry. John, just as an observer, well, this time uh, who is derailing us? Um, Mike is. While we're waiting, 1517. Uh, New Reformation Press. The they sometimes they'll be 1517 sometimes you'll see it as new reformation press they do some publishing they have yep Brewer has like 27 books now does he have a new translation out <laughs> 100,000 books yeah we'll have to look uh, is there like a chad bird uh Brewer, like contest to there, see? there could be because they got him turning out um mike has a book with them i would say a book that's been extremely well received in fact i received a copy of it in my mailbox at the college because um some at the college have thought highly enough of it that we all are getting a copy, which I think is a really? high compliment to my dear friend Michael. Is that the campus read then? No. No, but I think it's going to be faculty discussion. See, this is I, I'm, I'm, I just look on Michael with pride because um, I published three books with 1517 and you know how many the college bought? Zero. Zero, but, but Mike is. I published three books. You know how many academy I've taught? Zero, but Mike has it. And I really feel like I am um, Jan Huss to Mike's Luther. Like, I'm, I don't, I don't we, have any problem with it. I think it's great. We've, like, we've I, already established that I'm your Bugenhagen. No, you're my Luther. And uh, Mike has just made the most of it and I, I, in a good way. He's written a, a fine book, uh, and he's done an academy. We are a podcast. Um, they have blogs, devotions. Um, now they're gonna have music. I gotta learn more about that. Conferences, Mike. Who's who's gonna be in Las Vegas? I'll be in Las My Vegas. My Luther will be in uh, in Las Vegas, and uh, I'll be at the college teaching and being proud. So a plug for fifteen seventeen to Paris two thousand eighteen drama thriller fifteen seventeen was the time of the train mm. on August twenty first two thousand army time fifteen. Huh? Well, yeah, in Lake Europe. I despise army time, by the, the way. The world watches in stunned silence as the media reports a thwarted terrorist attack on a train that's bound for Paris, an attempt prevented by three young Americans traveling together through Europe. Uh, See, now I want to make jokes again because we terrorist talk. Director by, by uh, Clint Eastwood. So, but that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about 1517 movie. Right. We're talking about 1517. Dot what are you going to be doing at the, uh, at the conference that I'm very proud of you for? For speaking, Michael. I'll be presenting there on vocation. On vocation, you are presenting. Yeah. I bet it's gonna be a good presentation. You knew him before me, John. I, I assume you're just brimming with pride. Yeah, we we knew Mike when he wasn't much. Oh, but you yeah. probably always always figured he was gonna be big time at some point. I I joke at our parish where Mike serves as a pulpit assistant. I'll say, um, you know, we used to sit around high school and say, you know, when Mike's gonna be a doctor. <laughs> Yeah, and I honestly, it took me a while to get to know Mike at college because um, darn if he wasn't just fasting and praying so often, it was hard to see him outside of uh, outside of his room. He was easily approachable. No, when he was out of his room, he almost St. Francis-like. You were just drawn to him, kind soul. Um, But uh, 
So I would encourage people to, to check out Mike's presentation there. Um, and f- we thank 1517 for uh, all they let us do and for all Taking they do. Taking a chance on us. Yeah. You have a disclaimer for us? Yeah. Um, sorry. The show does not speak for our church bodies or our employers. To be honest, uh, much of the time it probably doesn't speak for us. Although I would say, Michael, you uh, pretty much always speak for me. And that's, I love that about you. Um, we will be thinking out loud a lot. Approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism because, well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize that you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. Hello and welcome to our free-for-all, where uh, I went out, it's been a long time, a long time coming uh, to have some more animal talks um, in our free-for-alls. There's a couple that I'm saving for when we can get Peter and Ben on. I think they have some important insights um, to bring on these pressing issues. Um, But I did send, I'm looking at the numbering, 10 solid animal-related free-for-all discussion topics um, in our Telegram group a while back, and we're going to pick one of them. And I'm hoping Mike will be a better sport than he normally is with the animals, because this one started with Mike. When Mike sent a survey he found somewhere about what animals, I think it was Americans, it might have been people in general, most people think they could take in a fight. It's just in Harper's Magazine. Of Pretty all, low was uh, was like places. grizzly bears and sharks. But I think what set this off surprisingly high was geese. And I frankly think people are underestimating geese. Now, I'm not talking like winning a fight that you kill or you die. Um, or even that serious injury occurs. But I'm talking about uh, who punks out first. Who withdraws from the fight. Who, you know... Uh, kind of throws in the towel, so to speak. Um, and so the, the overarching question is, what do you think is like the best animal you could beat in a fight? Right? The most impressive one. Um, and then secondly, do you think you could beat a goose in a fight? And uh, Mike, since this originated with you, um, and and with the the hope and the love of friendship that you will take this topic seriously, I will throw it to you. Maybe I'll just, I have this picture up from Harper's Magazine. From the results of a YouGov survey measuring the percentage of Americans who believe they could defeat different types of animals in an unarmed fight, right? So you don't... Meaning no weapons. You can use your arms. You don't have a gun or a knife or whatever. 72% believe they can uh, beat a rat. 69% house cat. 61% goose. Uh, 49% medium-sized dog, 30% eagle, 23% large dog, 17% chimpanzee, 15% king cobra, 14% kangaroo, 12% wolf, 9% crocodile, 8% elephant, 8% lion, 6% grizzly bear. 
And what this tells me is Americans are, and I, I, I've suspected this, we're a very stupid people. Maybe overconfident. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder, like, um, sorry, if I'm going to jump ahead of you, Mike. Yeah, I sent that to you. Did you get that? Yeah, well, I, yeah, I found it on Fox 13 on Salt Lake City, too. Um, <laughs> like, like, 80% of Americans think they could beat an elephant in a fist fight. Like, right, yes. Like, you know, what would you? What would you do? Yeah, you don't have weapons. There's no legitimate way of attack. And conversely, what about the 31% who don't think they can beat a house cat in a fight? Well, and the thing, the medium dog thing is stupid too because pit bulls are medium-sized dogs. Yeah. So this is legit people thinking they could take a pit bull. And I don't, maybe the people asking these questions made it sound like, you're stuck in a room with this animal right. and only we one of you walks that. out. So if that's the case and I don't have proper context, then I apologize. I think for our purposes, we'll assume running away is a possibility. So I'm looking on this list on Fox 13 on Salt Lake City and the little ad that comes up underneath it is Utah churches get called to repentance over water hogging lawns. You think our friend Pastor uh, Peel is one of those churches that gets in trouble I think, uh, for hogging water? I think Tyler likes a nice lawn, and I mean that as a compliment. Yeah. They do have a sprinkler system there. Just knocking them out. I, I, you know, I think Eagle's too high. Yeah, I think that people just underestimate. Like, if the eagle has room to fly, like, like swooping like, down and tailing ability. Fine, but an eagle can take a little dog, but it, it's not like an eagle's taking on big mammals. I I think an eagle can kill like a fox. But you're not a fox. Yeah, but I don't think he could kill me. But I, I, think, I think I would run from him. Oh, I'd be. I wouldn't be like I'm going to stand and fight. Oh, I'm afraid of all these things, but. Like, if an eagle was in a enclosed place and it was just mano a mano, I think that you would you would be able to survive. Oh, I think an enclosed place favors, unless enclosed place is like a football stadium. Like, let's say in Ford Field with a roof. So that, you know. You can dive bomb. But only yeah. to a certain extent. If it's an enclosed space, like. Um, Pastor Borland's living room. I think. I think could, that favors me. I, I think you could. I think you could get some good shots in. I think we've elevated. Well, what does eagle. a shot look like? You gonna punch it, kick it? Well, I think you could maybe, if it's coming at you, you could probably knock it, even maybe enough that it. Your hope is to get it on the ground. Right then, they kick it. Right. I think almost every fight, that was always growing up. My fighting tactic was you get the person on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still think. Like, where are you going to grab it? It's neck or it's talons is kind of all you can grab it by. But I just don't think it has enough to take you down. It would be a, it would be a, he'd have to take a long time. I think time. it could mess me up pretty good, though. Oh, yeah. sure, but it can take you a long time. But I would definitely flee time. Right. I think I'd flee from an eagle. See, an eagle comes and he grabs like a little, he grabs something. It's not going to grab you. I, I like your grabbing. What about the king, king cobra? 15% think they could beat a king cobra in hand to hand combat? Yeah, it'd be pretty quick for that. I don't think 15% of Americans could, but I bet people who live with king cobras, like a lot of them probably know how to grab them and like bash them or something. So we're going to take that 15% to be charitable. That 50% is immigrants from countries where that is an issue. Yeah. I I mean, I agree with Pastor Berlin. Elephants are ridiculous at 8%. 8% thinking they could take a lion or a grizzly. 
surprises me even more than lion. There's no way you're taking a a grizzly bear. How big do you think an average elephant is? Like tall or weight? Weight. Let me Google this. All right. Um, an Asian elephant is eighty. 800 pounds, an African bush element. 13,000. Yeah, so that's 18 like and 21 six and a half tall. tons. Six and a half tons. So one, one out of 12 Americans you meet on the street right. think they could defeat an African bush element. Right, and I mean, some of that maybe is very fit Americans. I'm coming from the perspective of like my current state, like I can't really plant on my knee at all. So like a lot of the moves I probably would have done and better when I could use my leg more. Like, all the karate moves are gone if you can't plant, I feel like. Um, so I almost have to try to make this a wrestling match. And uh, kangaroo is crazy, too. Like, you ever seen a kangaroo fight? They have, like, they'll cut you up with their legs. Although I do remember seeing a video of a dude who punched a kangaroo and it ran away. Mm-hmm. But I think that was more shock, like someone who had never been punched. Chimpanzee, just one chimpanzee, I do think maybe there's a shot. But, like, you get a gang of them. They're straight gangsters. Chimpanzees are. They like to work together. Um, goose, 61% think they could take the goose. Um, I think I could, if it was like a fight and you had to live or die, I definitely would beat the goose. Um, well, and that's the other thing is. But if it's just a fight of, like, geese are very fleas, geese are Geese usually come with, a, you know, they're pretty, can be vicious. Right. But they're always with a group. But I'm gonna I'm gonna run away with from a goose if I have the opportunity. I think there's zero chance a goose kills me. Right. But I'd rather not deal with um, whatever injury might happen. Rat even I don't think I'd be able to really. You know how quick you'd have to be to stomp on a rat. I can remember uh, being in the basement of a friend who uh, he had a room um, that was like half the size of this. Uh, kitchen and there was a very large Saginaw rat in his room and he would shoot it with BB guns that was his defense and got it enough that there was some blood but if you're unarmed right I mean you you, I don't think you could actually punch one I think they're fast enough right you'd have to step if you'd have to I think it'd be really hard to step on them right you'd have to find them almost asleep all right what do you think is the most impressive animal you could defeat I, I'm done. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm tapped out. <laughs> I, uh, I'm i tempted to say deer, but I don't think I could take a buck. Um, I know I could take a koala, and I think it'd almost be hilarious to fight a koala. So I'd be tempted with that. Do panda bears fight? I mean, do they get angry? Would they? I could maybe take a panda. I'm thinking about like wrestling, like with a Labrador. Right. If it's that, if that's you the kind of dog you could yeah. take, yeah. Um, I think I think um, if I'm allowed to be kind of on shore or at least water that I can stand in, maybe I have a chance against maybe not Mike a dolphin looks, but a porpoise. Mike looks unamused. Yeah, he's not taking it seriously anymore. He took it more seriously than I thought he would. He took the headset off. If I said what college animal mascot is the weakest, you would have thoughts about maybe we'll do that sometime. Weakest college mascot. 
I mean, the like cardinal. animal mascot. Oh, I was gonna say like Buckeye, the tree. I mean, because I wouldn't be afraid of a cardinal at all, or a blue jay. What about what, like a phoenix, a made-up bird? Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. I'm trying to think of if there's any other animals that are kind of banana slugs. I don't know enough about a badger. Yeah, you don't want to mess with the badger, but I, one of the UC schools is banana slugs, I believe. I think you could take that. See, this is having boys. So, my one son of mine, we had to talk about, I told Mike about this, how late was appropriate for lifting or, or showering. And uh, he texts that he's hoping when his brother gets home from up north, who's getting home late, would give him a haircut. Um, he cut his hair tomorrow. Yeah. But, so he's asking me permission on this. Yeah. I'm going to ignore it. You ever ignore texts from your yeah, kids, Michael? Sure. I do. Okay. Is that Should a, we go to our main topic? Um, yeah, I think, I. so did I say, I think porpoise maybe? Porpoise, that would be a good one. And John left. Yep, I don't know he where left. he went. All right, we'll be back for our main topic. And that brings us to our main topic, which is continuing kind of in the themes we've had for this uh, spur-of-the-moment backyard series that we've had. Um, and so the question before us for our main topic today, uh, I guess two questions that we can kind of meld into one if we wanted. First, what do you really need a pastor for? And second, um, what is the role of the pastor's office or study, and how does it fit that um, fit with that uh, that idea of what you really need a pastor for? I will toss it to Mike or John or John or Mike, and if they don't say anything, I guess I will jump in, but either of you have any initial thoughts? Well, I mean, it's actually a serious question of why you need a pastor, and a question that um, will reveal somebody's theology about, uh, I believe, the Word and the sacramental nature of the ministry, right? Um, if the pastor is just well, we got to have somebody up there, right? Um, that's that egalitarian kind of idea, which is uh, thoroughly American, right? Um, uh, often reveals, um, even though it, it comes off as, as I said, egalitarian and nobody's higher than the other person and a reaction to, uh, let's just say, European institutions, kings, nobility, the church, bishops, um, all of the bloodlines, your last name, all that kind of stuff. Um, but it usually reveals uh, a faulty theology or a poor theology about how God uses means, right? And uh, that God tends to use uh, ordinary things to do extraordinary things. He tends to use lowly things. Uh, so you can think of him paring down Gideon's army to 300 men. So it's very clear that uh, 
that it was That'd God be a who great gave victory. Do an episode on sometime. And I think uh, you know the the whole clay jar um, imagery that Saint Paul uses fits in in there. Uh, Saint Paul flat out sa- says almost the same thing that as reported about uh, Gideon in in Judges that uh, God uses clay jars so that the surpassing uh, surpassing greatness power. Uh, in this ministry is is not on the man but on the, on the on the person so it's the exact opposite when you make it about um hey we're all the same and so this guy who's going to lead um then it becomes actually about that person's leadership right um instead of this is the uh the voice of, of god and we should explain that we don't mean that the 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 pastor has this direct line to God that nobody else has, but rather in a very gracious way, God says, I will give you a voice that will speak to you. I'm going to give you a human voice. And that human voice is going to be this man at this time and in this place. And including that parents and teachers and friends, uh, the mutual consolation of the brothers, as we like to say it in in our Lutheran parlance. So um, um, let me... If you ask me that again, why you need a pastor, the the answer is because you need preaching. You need to be preached to. You don't get to, this is something that is done to you. It's not something that, that you do by yourself. And therefore, there needs to be somebody else who is going to do this action upon you of preaching. Yeah, and I think, um, just And by briefly, the way, let uh, me finish that thought. More and more, I when I... When I was growing up and early in my ministry, if, if someone said it called me preacher or somebody preacher, sometimes you get that. Hey, preacher. I don't think any of us liked that early on. I didn't like that early on because it, it seemed too evangelical and I kind like of corny. Now. now, now I understand that. Like, what am I as pastor? Um, that you can talk a lot of things. So just reading something about like Luther didn't shy away from the idea of father, shepherd. Pa- which is all that pastor means, uh, bishop, overseer, all those kinds of things. But preacher is actually a pretty big deal. And, and that is because we understand the power of the word, which we talked about in the last episode. Yeah, and I think I'll, I'll throw it to John in just a second, but my initial thoughts would be, I think high up on the list, one of those things is, as you said, so I'm going to draw you out of yourself, right? It's very important that the pastor is not you. And I think this, if we at some point should have an episode on pastoral care of pastors, um, and I think there's some good guests we could get on that. But even the the pastor, in my own ministry, I learned really needs that person to to do that for them as well to call them outside of themselves. Um, I would say in short, and I'll just throw it out there because then we can riff off it or go wherever else too. Um, the only thing literally the church has that the world doesn't have, in my view, um, the world has the law. And the world sometimes does the law pretty darn well. Um, the world has uh, therapy, um, encouragement, uh, life coaching. And I'm not downplaying any of these things I mentioned. Um, the church has, or the, the world has support groups. Um, the world has uh, charitable institutions, right? A lot of what the church does, uh, others can do as well. But at the end of the day... Um, sorry for that buzzing. That was probably me. At the end of the day, right? The church has the gospel. It has absolution. It has the uh, 
the good news. Now, with that being the case, um, I think anywhere there can be other things that come up or ways that that plays out. Um, but John, anything that initially comes to mind for you? Yeah, just I'd like to hear Mike, you know, expand on that a little bit because I think some of your hearers, uh, when you say you need a preacher, they, they probably have encountered people who have said things like, you know, who who are you to preach to me? Or I got my Bible and I'm good that way. So if you could just expound that a little bit, what, um, why why it is you need a preacher? Yeah, I think we start with the idea that uh, that a lot of people especially very, very few people, although there are some, but very few people outside of a Christian perspective and in, and a very narrow historic Christian perspective um, are going to understand what a bound will is, right? Most people assume a free will in all things above and, and, and below. And so <clears throat> I don't, I can figure this out myself, right? But it doesn't take but five minutes to stop and blow that out of the water. Because uh, if you have a family, if you're married, if you have any kind of self-awareness, you understand that you have an inability to stop doing things that are harmful to you and those around you. And so you need somebody from the outside to give you that perspective. So that's just from a, I mean, we're not even talking theology here for a second. Um, in the same way, I think... And to have just, to have that person who is doing that um, not in a client, kind of like client and, um, what, what do you, the person who has a client as a, I don't know, whatever you call it, consi- you, um, you're not going to them as a consumer. Now, mm-hmm. someone might think, well, I give money to the church, but that that's you're right. giving you're giving money right to the organization for whatever. And and really, um, we can have an episode on stewardship, but uh, we're not. But someone who's right, someone who's doing it, where their primary obligation is is to God, yeah. right? Um, but who's also doing it with you, not in the hope that they will successfully echo what you want to hear. Or um, satisfy you enough that you are going to continue this business relationship, but someone who actually sometimes is duty bound to say what you don't want to hear, yeah, yeah. knowing full well that you might leave. So this is the law aspect, right? Somebody who who is, yeah, duty bound to speak the truth to you, even if that even if that's not going to go well for the speaker or the listener. The second thing is, and, and just using a, a very everyday example. Um, you need somebody to, to not only show you love, but speak love to you, right? Uh, you can pretend like you're an island, but you're not. That's not how we, no philosophy has ever really thought that, right? And there's no reason to believe that you're an individual to that extreme. So that's the gospel. You need somebody to speak this love to you that comes from outside of you. It didn't come from you. It came from outside of you. Otherwise, you are all alone, and then you need to stand before uh, God or yourself or the world. It's not going to go well for you. Um, and I think finally, to, to be more theological, this is how God chose to come to you. <laughs> you know, I, I get kind of frustrated when people dismiss baptism or Holy Communion or the word of God or absolution 
as if you had a choice of the ways God has chosen to come to you and give you grace. He chose these ways and he happened to do it by speaking. And, and you know, I'll go off on we're people of words from the very beginning. God created us with words, comes to us with words. Jesus is the word. We are to interact with each other with words, the power of the word, all that kind of stuff. So that word assumes uh, a hearer, but it also hurt, assumes a speaker, right? And now just j- that we don't necessarily always mean something that's spoken audibly. I mean, we would include in here written word, right? But finally, it's extra notes. It's outside of you. I mean, that's the point. It's outside of you. And so that assumes that assumes a ministry, right? It assumes what we're calling here a pastor, right? So I think it's just very fundamental to who we are as human beings and specifically fundamental to how God comes to, to us. So you, you need a preacher. And maybe one last thing, you'll hear this too, you need a, you need, you need a rabbi, right? You need somebody who, what, what do people mean when they say you need a rabbi? Somebody who can... You need to convert to Judaism. That's why I take that. No, you you need somebody who can... Who can... For for men. Who who can give you a perspective that you don't have. And why? Because you're lost in yourself. You know, Augustine, you're navel gate. You're looking at yourself. You can't see... You can't see this. You you are overtaken by your emotions. You're overtaken by your stress. You're overtaken by your circumstances. You need somebody who can who can give you a, a better perspective. Now, that's not I don't think the primary thing of being a pastor, but it certainly is certainly is part of the deal. And I think even if it's not in counseling in the pastor's office. Um, but but even through, topic for another episode. Even even from the, from the pulpit to the pew, um, you're you're able to to give somebody a different perspective. I think coming to church on Sunday, you're engulfed in everything that you have for for that you carried from the week, and that you're already worried about Monday, and you zoom out to see God's perspective. And when you zoom out to see God's perspective and all that He has done for you from all eternity, then uh, y- your problem seems a little small, right? I, I, Professor Deutschlander would always call that the, the stub toe problem, right? When you stub your toe at that moment, the pain that shoots up your body is, I mean, the house could be on fire and, and you would still be thinking about your toe, but it's so insignificant in, in the grand scheme of things. And a preacher can and should do that. And so does the liturgy, right? And so does coming into the physical church with other people and seeing their struggles and seeing their joys and, and hearing about somebody who was in the hospital again and hearing about who got buried in the, in the prayer of the church. Um, it does give you that kind of perspective on a corporate level that the pastor does can do individually yeah let me i I dig something you said there and so let me just quickly riff a little and then i'll throw it to john um i like that you mentioned the liturgy and i hadn't thought of this when we came up with the topic but i do think it's fair to say um what do you need a pastor for you need a liturgist um and by that what i mean is um you need someone to take you out of the uh secular calendar you need to someone to take you out of the the daily grind 
um, you need to, someone to take you out of the the ceremonies of the week, right? And we all have them, whether it's our morning coffee or watching The Office at night um, or grabbing a half hour to talk with this person. Um, you need someone to take you outside of time itself. Um, you need someone to take you outside of uh, your immediate peers and even your your um, present congregation um, and, to, and to bring you into the communion of saints. And not someone to do this in a way that I'm putting a crazy burden on a pastor to somehow manufacture this atmosphere. Um, but the pastor need do nothing more um, than to look at the, the treasures of the church that we have um, in pastor's agendas and in hymnals. Um, and I'm not trying to say high church, low church, page five, page whatever. I'm saying, um, I mean, I'm obviously advocating for that to some extent, but what I'm saying is um, a pastor who hopefully, and this is where um, some of the mainline denominations are better than American evangelicalism uh, in that they've retained at least the liturgical um, trappings, even if they have lost um, much of the the preaching that we would like to see. Um, that you're a part of something bigger than what you're a part of as you grind out the week. Your family's bigger. Um, you have more neighbors than you realize. Um, I think there's a real importance in a pastor doing that. And I think deep down it's something we all need if we're really going to find Shabbat ever. Um, that meaningful kind of rest. And really what is the, the pastor's liturgist? What's the liturgy, whatever we're talking about? I mean, in my mind, I'm talking about the Western right because it's what I'm most experienced with and what I would advocate for. Um, but what is that but a, an immersion in something It's a preaching more. And, and an immersion, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, in the, in the pastor um, sometimes is, is the tour guide who doesn't even have to, to always be in the mic trying to uh, um, make every portion of the liturgy seem meaningful. He just walks you through it, and the liturgy will find you. But I would say uh, you need a liturgy. And I would say that's even other religions recognize that. Almost every religion has aspects of liturgy that become important, particularly because they both remove you from something and connect you to something more. Uh, Christianity, I would say, does it well because Jesus Christ is, yeah. is what they're taking and you to. And your secular religions follow that pattern. Go to a sports game. Yeah, I'll actually maybe approach it. I really appreciate what you guys have both done with that. Uh, from a little more practical issue, uh, I'll I'll try to answer the question, why do you need a pastor? So I was blessed to serve a congregation that had celebrated 125th anniversary the month before I got there and then got called to a congregation that uh, celebrated 125 years, maybe a year or two after I got here. And and that was... Which a, would you recommend? <laughs> What was the Lord trying to teach me there? Um, but I do think that there's a, a lesson there uh, of, of a pastor's uh, function, if you will, that, you know, the it helped me and it crystallized for me. Pastors come and go. You need a pastor to be replaceable. Um, when you are responsible for putting together the timeline and the list of pastors, you just realize 
uh, the Lord's just putting up with you for this time, and he's pleased to do so. Um, but uh, this is this has to be way bigger than than who you are or any given person in a given generation. So I know that wasn't what you were after. But no, I think if, that's a good one. After you guys. I mean, you need your pastor to be replaceable. If he's not, you're getting, not getting the right start. And then I think uh, for the for the pastors out there, um, and this is something I didn't come out of seminary with, no fault of the seminary, a fault of me, but I think it does have an impact on your pastoral care for your people to think about um, not just uh, the people you're serving, but the people who will be served after you and and the pastor who will come after you you know that this is this ministry has to be bigger than you what are we at time wise mike 40 minutes okay do we want to save the pastor's officer study for another time or do we want to connect that now connect it okay let's go ahead and connect it with that in mind the things that we've gotten at um and i don't think office or study are a, a bad word um the office right it's an office space meaning it's the room where you can find it um, but I think its connection to the office of the ministry is a good thing, right? This is where um, the office of the ministry, which is the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments, um, is either prepared for or um, is takes place or is um, it, the, this space is a continuation of the, what takes place with that um, as people meet with their pastor. Um, but I also think there's an importance to the, the idea of pastor study. Um, and not just study as in a study where you read books, um, but a time where a pastor is able to meditate, meditate upon the word, um, but also contemplate and meditate upon the experiences um, of being a pastor. Uh, because there was a lot of learning that took place in my office or study or whatever you want to call it, where, where God through my members was teaching me. Um, so I learned not only through the books in there, um, but I learned a lot through God's people, both in the ministry I was called to do, um, but also in the ways that they um, shaped me, right? Um, so that I think when a pastor changes parishes, that room is one of those rooms that it, is, it embodies more than actually what it contains or just the walls. Um, if we were to go back and visit, being in that space would mean something or the changes might stand out, especially there as, as compared to, to elsewhere. Something I'm oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was Something you just said there. I mean, uh, my first parish, um, just because of different changes in ministry and construction, things, whatever, my the the physical place changed three different times um, in my ministry. But when I left there after nine years, I mean, I can that was that I was not prepared for the emotional uh, nature of leaving that space. Um, for the last time. So something you just said there, um, well, it obviously couldn't be the books because um, much to Sarah's chagrin, um, those were going with me. And the movers, yeah. And, yeah, and the movers and the uh, dear saints who footed the bill of that move. Uh, and and it wasn't the, the carpeting and it wasn't the walls. It, it was a humbling thing because of the people uh, and the experiences you had in that in that place. Does that make sense at no, all? No, I think I mean, that makes a lot yeah. of sense. So, um, <laughs> this might sound really weird too. Um, my current space, um, at my parish, um, I've grown to love. And especially over the last years when I, uh, outfitted the space, um, with, uh, a soft lamp rather than the over, it just, just, I very rarely, uh, 
turn the overhead light on there. People accuse me that I just don't want to be known or seen in there. But there is something to that, that this is a, whether it's early in the morning or late at night or that this is a, this is a quiet place uh, for, for the, the things that get to happen and study and, and, and word and prayer, but, but also as the people who God would give you to serve, actually bless you to actually come into that place that you, when they come into that place, they're saying you, you actually have something for me here and yeah. it's not because of who you are. And I, and I think sometimes, you know, maybe even some might hear John and I speaking and think, well, that sounds a little mystical or pietistic. Um, but in reality, like we, we ought not forget um, that Luther stre- stressed that, you know, um, in essence, the office is um, oratio and meditatio and tentatio, prayer and meditation and temptation, but not always just even temptation, but sometimes just um, being sifted in the, the sieve of life, right? Um, it's not, it's not it's not a clinical place either with bright right. lights and white walls and and I it's mean, not a purely administrative place. Yeah, you, that's yeah. not how you how you let just, your home, right? Yeah. How you said uh, um, when I say I'm going to the office, there's something there of um, I'm going to a place and there's a list of things I need to get done and this is part of who I am and what I do and then I return from that. Um, and so I've said that before. I'm going to the office, but. I'm not, you know, uh, you mentioned Professor Deutschlander earlier this evening um, who would say his time spent in his office or study was not not for his benefit but for the benefit right. of those who would enter there, which is, which is terrible as far as trying to get things done, right? And, you know, you're not punching a clock on that end. So. Right. And I think that notion of that, um, in a sense, that space becoming a sacred space because of what takes place there, um, is important that it not become, and I think um, we were talking about before recording that I, you know, I've listened to the Rise of Mars uh, Hill podcast, and I've listened to some others, and you hear about the the fall of pastors, and especially um, in mega churches, where as they grew, the people became the pastors became more and more detached from their people and their ministry. Um, I think that space it becomes easy for it to lose some of its sacred sense and become more as Mike said clinical or to become more bureaucratic or administrative um, and really that's probably one of the top places where in reality um, is, is pastors that were fed right those books on the shelf um, are more than just books on the shelf and they're hopefully not just to um, you know virtue signal and show our members hey we read or we learn stuff to kind of prove our value, um, hopefully the ones in the most prominent spaces are the ones that really fed us, right? Um, and there's hundreds of voices and preachers behind those those books. And I would say that's not only true of theological books, but as Mike, I think you said in the last episode, right? There, uh, there could be good novels on that shelf that were in some way a preachment about human nature or the human situation. Um, so that it hopefully ideally is both a receptive place and a giving place. Right, where we are going both to have rest and receive, but then what we've been given, we're able to. And I would guess in most Lutheran churches, um, outside of the, the sanctuary, um, specifically the, the chancel and nave, um, that study or office is where most ministry happens. We tend, unless you have a very old church, not to build. I wish we would have spaces. Um, you know, I, I I'm 
sometimes having a baptistry or somewhere where absolution can take place outside the office can be super helpful. Um, but that, um, you mentioned John being replaceable, but that space I think also takes on a lot for our lay people who end up in there in some of their dark moments of life or their, their questioning moments where they need, as Mike said, a, a rabbi. Um, you know, that I think the idea that that's both receptive and giving is a, it just encapsulates the Christian life and Christian ministry. Can, can I ask you guys now, uh, not serving in the parish setting, um, uh, has your view of the space oh, yeah. changed? I don't want people in it. Yeah, I was thinking right <laughs> when we're done with this podcast, I'm like, I'm going to ask Wade if this changes his passive-aggressive nature about uh, protecting his office. No, I, nice, not very much. You have nice signs that go up under the office of leaving. My best alone. one is not now. Not now. <laughs> um, I would, uh, no, I, I would I say it has. I unfortunately, in practice, it's changed. But I would say my encounters. Um, there's 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 encounters with students or fellow faculty who will come that are ministerial, um, but it's not nearly as often. I don't know if that. I don't think it's changed much for me, other than. You know, the people you serve are different, right? You're serving a college kids that are here and then gone, right? You know, I mean, it's, uh, <clears throat> give me this quick answer right now. Um, instead of, you know, this is going to be, a, this is going to be a continuing thing going for five, six years. Although there are some students where, you know, this is going to be a, a relationship. <laughs> five or six thing, five or six well, years. Yeah. <laughs> Where, well, there's those students too, but there are some students where, you know, this is going to be an ongoing thing. And even after they graduate, you know, maybe an email or whatever, but, um, you know, and we're careful, of course, uh, um, you know, if somebody has a, a parish pastor that right. one of the first things a, we ask is, is yeah. did you talk to your pastor about this? Right. Although we have plenty of students that aren't connected to a church. And so sure. you are acting pastorally there. Of but course, we do but, have people also that. And some, it's we we would send them to the campus pastor. Um, well, if it's a problem, I don't want to deal with. Yeah, or just I mean, um, like if it's a student I'm, who's I'm, thinking, I'm of, joking. Yeah, but half joking. Any other thoughts on office or study or anything that comes to mind? No, I had a um, my first couple of years there. We I had a guest preacher during Advent for some reason. Years at the college or would like? And would like. Okay. And uh, the guest preacher told me what he's preaching on, and, and it did hit home with the, with some of the parishioners that you got to let the pastor have his time to study. And I don't. he didn't mean don't bother him or whatever, but I think he was he was saying a good pastor is not necessarily the guy who is out there with his bright shining face all the time, right? That you really Running need somebody. ABSs and yeah. going to you need somebody meetings. that can can be can contemplate things. You need he needs time to think, right? And I don't think he meant reading a, reading a bunch of books. I mean, I think he meant you. This guy needs to have time to for, for tentatio. I think if. I don't know that he would put it that way, but I, I bet the he would. Stuff. Yeah. So, anyway. Um. Yeah. What do you think, John? How How do you balance the being accessible to needing that time? Yeah. No, not well. Um. You know. Not well at all. Um. Other than 
the Lord has a way of just throwing you back into where you where you need to be to on either side. I've I've just gone through a horrible stretch again of not not doing the YMCA thing, and I just find myself when I go to YMCA. Who am I kidding? I'm not pushing myself on the weights, and I mean. So you mean the gym, not the song? Yeah, <laughs> the the elliptical doesn't move that fast. I'm on it, but. I, those I, whether I'm listening or reading at those times, it's just um, having that's thinking time for me. That is a and my ministry suffers when I'm not not doing that that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, it's a, and I mean I, I think that's something hopefully lay people understand too. That oftentimes um, in ministry, when the when your pastor actually finally sits down with you and gives you the answer to whatever you were asking or tries to to help you. Um, talk through and apply law and gospel in whatever situation. Um, often the amount of hours spent on that are a lot more than probably people realize. Um, you know, turning over in your head um, how best to handle this. Uh, and and that's oftentimes the stuff that ends up um, not... Or, it, there's just a benefit to not always having to be spur of the moment um, in those relationships um, with people. Uh, often you'll throw a question at your pastor or a situation um, in a meeting um, that you've spent days, weeks, months wrestling with. Um, it's good for them to have some time sometimes too. And, and I think it took me a while coming out of some when you're trying to prove yourself as a young pastor because you will have a lot of people who will comment on your youth or, or different things. Um, it's okay to take that time sometimes, you know, that, that more and more to say in ministry, like, yeah, this is, this is a lot. Um, and I think this is going to be more than one meeting. And, um, you know, it, there's, there's stuff in here for me to wrestle with too, for my own good and for you. Uh, yeah, I don't know if that made sense, but any closing thoughts, you guys? No, I think uh, you know if you if you're a lady here uh, to uh, know that your pastor does want you to stop by, right? Um, and uh, believe me, that sincerely uh, does, yeah. Right. I I said numerous times this week um, because uh, um, listeners know you know we've been down two pastors at St. John's for a while now, and it's just a um, just numerous times I've said. Um, the the hardest thing for me to hear is uh, you didn't want to talk to me not because you didn't want to talk to me but because you thought you were a bother or I didn't have the time or I'm also busy and I'm, say I'm not nearly that important and I'm a poor manager of time and um, you know that I would say a Lutheran pastor wants his people yep. to in his study. I don't know yep. how many times I would say it's some. I mean it, it's it's almost cliche. It's it's not that they've really thought about it, but I know you're busy pastor. And I would just say, I'm busy doing this, right? I'm busy with you right now. That's right. what I'm doing. And, um, and I mean, there and are nothing I'd rather be doing. And sometimes right. there are people who are a bother. I mean, we won't lie. Um, but it's a lot less, I think than people would right. expect. I mean, the, right. um, I would say that, and that's true at the college as well. There are students who sometimes are a bother. And, um, the way to, to know as I go and I talk to Mike and, I don't betray anything private, but I'm just like, ah, you know, whatever. Um, 
but it's very few and far between. Um, and while sometimes I may think they're going to be a bother when they are knocking in the door in the middle of me grading or something, um, very seldom does it um, become so. And so I would say, yeah, I would agree. Um, there's nothing more than there's nothing more that your pastor, if he's a good pastor, that wants to do and is give you gospel comfort. That's why. I mean, that's, hopefully, he went into ministry. That's finally what it is. And if that silly administrative work. Uh, that sort of needs to be done, but probably doesn't really need to be done, gets pushed back a day, that's fine. Oh. Uh, so I, I think that's... Sometimes if, you're even helping him by giving him an excuse. There you go. You're freeing him from it. That's right. So, no, that's what uh, that's why you need a pastor, and that's what the pastor is there for you. And so uh, if you don't have a preacher, go find one, one yeah. that can uh, preach the gospel to you because that's the most important thing. Freedom right. from sin, hell, death, and the devil, and... A world given back to you. Otherwise, there's there's plenty that Oprah and and AA and um, all kinds of things can can help you with in the world. Right. Um, but that absolution, that is a uh, you're not going to find that anywhere else. That's what we do here at this podcast. That's what uh, fifteen seventeen is all about as well. So, um, go live free, friends. Don't let us get in the way. Until the next time. Uh, we come into your phone or your computer, let the bird fly. Another round, another round, one more round won't get me down.